It is always uh, a joy and a privilege to share to you the Word of God. And if you have your Bibles with you, please turn it to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. So we'll be reading verse 31 to ver- at, until verse and verse 32. Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 to 32. The word of God says, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against, against this Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. And this evening we will be talking about um, commonly in this passage, they call it the unpardonable sin, or I, I would call it this evening the unforgivable sin. How many of you experience um, went to another place and you used airplane? I think most of us here experience going to uh, another place and you know you use the transportation called airplane. Um, they always recommend to be there just about 45 minutes before the departure and also um, and, I, and how many of you here experienced that you're late? Did you experience that? Nothing? Um, for me, I, I have not yet experienced that. Uh, primary reason, because I don't want to buy a ticket another, <laughs> another time. I don't have money to spend another, uh, you know, um, another ticket. But uh, if you notice, there are ground crew that usually announce you know some some names that you don't know and then they're trying to get the attention of this person and then they would say that this is the final call for this person this is the final boarding and you heard that right and and they always they would repeat it i think you know twice or third time but uh, but the, there would come a time that that would be the final call for that person. And what do you think will happen if that person just ignore what the ground crew, you know, just telling to him, you know, just to be hurry, uh, hurry up and we will be on, on board and go to, uh, or be on the, on the plane. So I know that he would miss the plane and he would just get another plane ticket or probably book, book um, another flight and it's a, just a waste of time, a waste of money, right? I'm just wondering when it comes to the last call of God for a person to repent, how many people you think would just ignore the final call of God and especially in the word repentance? And also, when it comes to the last call of God for Christians to come back, when they are in backslidden stage, how many will just ignore God's final call? If you're watching in the internet, 
or if you're here today not saved, let me tell you this, that there, is, there would come a time that there is a deadline. There would be a line that will be put upon you. I'm not sure. Uh, we can't see it. And across that horizon, there is a line between God's mercy and God's wrath. And my prayer tonight, that if you're that person, you will not cross that line, and that you will not let the mercy of God turn into wrath. And that you will not commit what the Bible teaches, a sin that shall not be forgiven unto men, a sin that shall not be forgiven neither in this world and in the world to come, or most people would call it, the unpardonable sin. And tonight, we're looking on the passage in just a moment, but let's commit this service to the Lord, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that you gave to us and for this evening that we can study your word. We thank you for the availability of the scripture and your word. And I ask, dear Father, that you would give us understanding. And I ask, dear Father, that you would help us to learn from your word and that we would also be obedient and apply the truths that we've learned t tonight in our lives. And so, Father, move our hearts, change us into a, a better person, into a person that you want us to be. And so we commit to you all these things. In, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we, at first, we must take note that the Bible never called the, the sin that's mentioned in the passage that we have read the unpardonable sin. And most most Bible scholars or those people who would do the study Bible, they would call it an unpardonable sin, but the Bible never mentioned it that way. But I think um, I can see why many would call it unpardonable sin because this sin is so evil and so wicked that a person can be in danger of eternal damnation. And if you've studied the cross-reference for it in Mark, Mark chapter 3, verses 28 to 29, and also in Luke chapter 12, verse 10, it says there, and you can study a little bit there. But before we dive into the passage, let me tell you what unpardonable sin is not. The unpardonable sin is not a moral sin. It is not adultery. It is not a fornication, sodomy thievery, or murder. The unpardonable sin is not, not only not a moral sin, but also not an intellectual sin. Atheism, agnosticism, evolutionist, name, whatever intellectual sin a person may have. The unpardonable sin is not a sin of, is not a verbal sin. That, you know, any form of cursing, any use of foul language and using the name of God in vain. Don't get me wrong, but the Bible says that these sins are wicked and evil in the sight of God. But let me tell you also that in 1 John 1, 9, the Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Are you not glad that God gave us the opportunity 
God gave us a way. When we look to God and we compare to ourselves, we're sinners. But instead of us, instead of God condemning us to sin, at, uh, with our sin and condemned us to hell, he made a way and through the Lord Jesus Christ, for blood shed of Jesus Christ on the cross. And whoever would come unto him and accept him as the Lord and Savior, we can have that forgiveness. If you're here and you're saved, you've experienced that. The mercy of God, the forgiveness of God and all your sins that you have done in, 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 in your life, in my life. And let, uh, let us look into the scripture. In verse 31, it says here, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. Now, if you, can, if you have your Bibles in red, those are spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it started from verse, verse 25, and you can go until even in verse, and through all that verse is there in, in the same context. Now, what is all, this is all about? And what is the blasphemy of the Holy Ghost? Now, before we go farther, I would like to give you a few, uh, give you a few preliminary thoughts that will be born out from uh, learning from this, uh, from this passage. The first one, preliminary thought, is that if I am worried that I may have blasphemed the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, I can be confident that I have not. As we will see this evening, those who engage in blasphemy, the Holy Ghost, have deliberately rejected who Jesus is. So just the fact that I am concerned or you are concerned that, I'm, that you might have done or I might have done something to, to offend him pretty much guarantees that I have not blaspheme the Holy Ghost. Second thought, God by nature is forgiving. God by nature is forgiving. And we see clearly here in these verses that Jesus claims that every sin, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. And obviously the promise is conditional upon the person repenting of his or her sin. But the fact that God's nature is to forgive, let us quickly read several passages that you know, will confirm that. Um, let's go to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, if you can turn there. Verses 6 and 7. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Now, here in this passage, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. We will stop there. And just making a point. In Psalm 86, verse 5, also, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive 
and plenteous in mercy unto all men that call upon thee. Psalm 103, verse 2, 2 and 3, it says here, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his, all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities. And that is the nature of our God. He is willing to forgive to, those, to anyone who would go and reach out for him and ask for forgiveness. The third one, third thought that I would like you to, to you know, think through, there is no quantity or quality of sin that is unforgivable. It is not possible for us to commit some quantity of sin that is incapable of being forgiven by God. God never indicates that He will forgive 99 of your sins, and the 100 is too many for Him to forgive. You know, God never mentioned that. Um, and so, uh, nor there is some sin that is just a heinous or horrific that God cannot or won't forgive it. Okay, so I cannot think of, of any sin that would be more offensive to God than crucifying His Son. You know, those people who crucified Jesus Christ, that's really horrifying in the sight of God. But yet, Jesus Christ can say to people, and it was penned in the Gospels, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so, with those ideas in mind, let us look in a larger context, and we will go into, draw in a, in a thought. In, the, in these, uh, in these uh, verses. Now, this account begins with Jesus healing a demon-possessed man who was blind and dumb. And you can see that in verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, and so much that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. The people who had witnessed the uh, the healing of the Lord Jesus Christ were amazed, and because they recognized that was that what Jesus has done was a supernatural thing, and there's no human ever so in the planet that can do what he did. And so the people were amazed. And that's why they in verse 23 they said that, Oh, is not this the son of David? Is not this the son of David? Now the term son of David was actually used by the Lord Jesus Christ, indicating his humanity. And so Jesus Christ is, is, uh, was indeed a Messiah, but for them, it is hardly to believe because it's not, they are, they're not really looking who Jesus Christ is. They are looking for a Messiah that will free them from the tyranny of Rome. And that's why for Jesus Christ, uh, it's not, he's not a type of... Uh, the Messiah that we are looking. And so they ignore all these miracles and all the, on all the ways that Jesus Christ wants to reveal himself that he is the Messiah. And that's why people were amazed. And when they asked that, is this, is not this the son of David? 
But when the Pharisee, and as soon as the Pharisee heard the people talk about, about uh, the situation, they stepped in, in, the, in the scene right away, knowing if the people understand that Jesus indeed the Messiah, their power, the Pharisees' power, and their influence will be gone. Because that's what they are after to. So they accuse Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. It is another term, name for Satan. But historically, Beelzebub is another god of definition, nation. And we will not go into the detail of that. But it is interesting here that uh, with the Pharisee, they are actually acknowledging that what Jesus did was beyond human capability. And so there must be, a, there must be some supernatural behind it. And since the only two supernatural kingdoms that exist are those of God, right? And those of Satan. Those only two. And they only had two options. And obviously... They were not willing, they were not willing to admit that it was God's power at work. And so they claim that Jesus' works is by the, was by the power of Satan. And Jesus quick to point out that the absurdity of the claim, first he point out how ridiculous it would be for Satan to cast out his own demons. And you can see that in, in verse 26. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if by I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast, out, uh, cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judge. And that argument there was enough to easily prove his point. That the point of the argument of the Pharisee was really defeated on that argument of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he goes into a little farther in, in personal to the Pharisees. And when you see in verse 27, he mentioned their children. Because Pharisees also have followers, disciples. They, uh, even the Apostle Paul met them in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 19. You know, the sons of Sceva, they also want to mimic the Apostle Paul that they would call upon this person with demon-possessed, and they would say, you know, um, get out in the name of Paul and of, the, and of Jesus Christ. But of course, what happened to them, because they're not genuine, the demons possess them, and then they run away naked. And those are examples of their children as mentioned here. And so Jesus Christ had made a really good argument. And is essentially, he says, your disciples are claiming to do the very same thing that I'm doing. So are you saying that they are also doing by, by Satan himself? And of course, they defeated on that argument. And he wraps it all. He said in verse 30, 
He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. And so Jesus wraps all this up by pointing out that these Pharisees have to make a choice. They can either say that Jesus is of God and what he did, or Jesus is of Satan. And those are only two options. The same still true today. Every person has to, has to choose one or the other. You have only one choice. It's either you had to accept the Lord Jesus Christ or reject him as who he is, as Savior and Lord. And Jesus make, make, makes it clear that those who refuse to acknowledge him as God are against him. And so rather than gathering people into his kingdom, they who are against him, scattering people away from it. And based on everything that we have learned, because it's a kind of lengthy passage, so far we think now it's pretty good to, we have the position to identify what is this unforgivable sin or the blaspheming against the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And with that, the, unfor the unforgivable sin is a deliberate rejection of the deity of Jesus Christ and who he is when you know that it is true. When you know that it is true. First, the, unfor the unforgivable sin is a deliberate rejection. It is not something that is done out of lock lack of knowledge or engaged in by accident. So you don't need to go around worrying that somehow out of ignorance, you unwittingly blaspheme the Holy Ghost somehow. The Pharisees had observed what Jesus had done. They knew the power to heal was supernatural. They knew that Jesus has the power to heal the, to heal the sick. Jesus had made great case to prove that it is only what he have done is only the source of the power of God and not of Satan. But because that threatened their own power and influence and wealth, they chose to deliberately reject that fact. In the life of even the Apostle Paul, he mentioned that to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 to 14. We don't have time to go there. But he basically tells Timothy that he had blasphemed out of ignorance. And so God was willing, even eager, to forgive the blasphemy when Paul repented of his sins. And especially when he met the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. And most of us, probably rejected Jesus in some way and at some point in our life. But because we did out of ignorance before the Holy Ghost revealed the true, the true nature of Jesus, God delights in forgiving us for the kind of blasphemy and because it was not done deliberately. The second element of the, our definition Unforgivable sin is not just deliberately rejection, but also invo it involves the deity of Jesus Christ. It is a deliberate rejection of the deity 
and who Jesus Christ is as Savior and Lord. And this is very clear in verse 32. And as, as I said here, the Son of Man was used in the humanity of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says here that you can speak a word against Jesus as a human and still be forgiven if you repent. People did that all the time in Jesus' day, didn't they? They said like when Jesus Christ did something, a miracle, they would just say, is this not the son of a carpenter? Right? Because they cannot look past of the humanity of Jesus Christ. And other would say, can there be any good come out from Nazareth? Because they, can, they cannot see past of the humanity of Jesus Christ. They accused him of associating with sinners. But the most part of those words were spoken against Jesus as a man because his deity had not yet been revealed to those people. And so not only a de deliberate rejection that involves his deity, but last element here, a person deliberately rejects the deity of Jesus when he knows it is to be true. As we saw earlier with the example of Paul, he re rejecting Jesus out of ignorance. But this Pharisee could no longer claim that they are ignorant, right? Because they know it very well. But still, they refuse to believe. They had witness. They had light. They had revelation from the Holy Ghost. The scripture revealed, and Jesus Christ revealed himself also to them, but they did not accept him. But instead, they reject the truth. And so, let's close by looking on some of the implications for us this evening. If you're not yet a disciple or who or if you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. The message for you this, this evening, don't put off that decision. The hearts of these Pharisees were not hardened overnight, right? But because they had continually rejected Jesus, they, came, they come to a point that their hearts had become so hardened that even when the Holy Spirit revealed who Jesus was, they could not accept the salvation he had offered. And there are people today that they keep on pushing and pushing, maybe tomorrow, next week, next year, that I will receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe there would come a time that there's no time for you to repent. So don't put off. I will tell you a story, a true story. One of the preachers in Arkansas named Joel Hankins. And one day, Joel Hankins was preaching a revival meeting one, one time, and God's spirit was moving in the place. And mightily and souls were being saved he looked up in the balcony and saw a young man with his hymnal and singing 
And while the invitation is still going on, he saw the boy close the hymnal and starts walking forward as if he would give his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and accept him as the Lord and Savior. But when he looked again, the boy stopped, opened the hymnal, and starts singing. He did it twice, the same thing. But the third time, when, he, when Dr. Hankins saw this young man, He had his hymn, hymnal and closed the hymnal with a pop. And instead of walking down the aisle, he walked out by the back of the balcony and out of the church. Later on, that young man was diagnosed with a fatal illness. They told Dr. Hankins about it. And the preacher went to see the young man, recognized him as the same young man had been in the balcony. And the preacher asked, son, did they tell you how sick you are? The young man replied, yes, sir. You don't need to, room to beat around the bush. I know I'm dying. And Dr. Hankin said, well, son, I would like to ask you a question. Some time ago in the church, I have my eyes on you. I thought you're under conviction. I thought you're coming forward and give your heart to Christ. Is that true? And the boy replied, yes, it was true. I was so convicted during that time that even I can jump off the balcony and come there forward. And Dr. Hankins said, well, son, why you didn't come? Why you didn't come? He said, I thought of my favorite sin, and I knew if I went down there, I would have to give up my sin. And I closed the book and walked out of the church. And Dr. Hankins told the young man, son, this is not your last day yet. Would you accept Jesus Christ now? And the young man said, preacher, Something that you don't understand. That moment when I say no to God, something died within me. And I can't come to him even until now. That young man died without a savior. And Dr. Hankins was crying during that time. But of course, I, that's the one that I'm telling you. That maybe don't put it off. Don't put it off. In Hebrews 3, chapter 7, verse 8, it says here that, you know, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. If God is calling you to repent and ask forgiveness of your sins and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you are the disciple of Jesus Christ, if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Just three things. Be secure in your salvation. You know, if you still have doubts, make sure that you are genuinely saved. Even the Apostle Paul would said to the Corinthian believers, examine yourself whether you are in the faith. And so be secure in your salvation. Second one, when God reveals when God reveals something, 
from His Word, I need to respond immediately. Although our passage this evening deals primarily of becoming you know, a saved person in Jesus Christ, it is also a tremendous implication to us for the level of intimacy. Because Jesus Christ is always telling that if you love me, keep my words. That if you love me, keep my commandments. And that's the, only one, uh, that's the only way that we can have an intimacy with Him if we obey His Word. When we study the Word of God, when we, He revealed it to us what He wanted us to do, God is wanting, God wanting us to respond immediately. But lastly, constantly give thanks to God for the forgiveness that you receive since the moment that you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and the forgiveness that you receiving over and over again. Don't forget to thank God for his forgiveness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all, the, all what, we, what you have done and the message that we have this evening. And we thank you, and I pray that you bless it in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.